Thanks for listening in today to our Monday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. There is a uh, teaching out there, it's a false teaching. And it's a teaching that's called New Kingdom Theology. It's called Replacement Theology. It's called Reconstructionism. There's all sorts of different names for it. And what the teaching is, is that um, the church has replaced Israel. So all the promises that Israel has been given is now in the hands of the church, and that's not true. And so we're going to go over some of this here tonight, and hopefully we can finish it up next week. I want to go over what a covenant is, um, how God makes these covenants, how many covenants are there in the Bible? Are they all unconditional uh, covenants? The answer is no. Um, are they all in place right now? The answer is no, not all of them. Uh, and so we're, we're going to get into that a little bit here tonight. So let's just start off here with Second Samuel chapter 7. It says in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. So in order for him to be dwelling in his house, this is a house made of cedar. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter 17, it, it says specifically of that. So quite a bit of time has passed between chapter 6 and chapter 7. As a matter of fact, most people believe that chapter 7 is actually after chapter 8. Okay, And the reason is because we're going to read here how God has given him peace on all sides, and yet in chapter 8 we see all these wars that he, he does. And so their thinking is that uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7 is more of a, of a flow of the perspective of God and, and what is going on in David's heart. And after this time of, of bringing in the Ark of the Covenant, and he's so joyful in the Lord, we continue to see his heart here in chapter 7. And so it kind of continues on with this heart theme of sorts. And so it says in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. And again, when you read chapter 8, you're going, well, no. But like I said, they kind of swapped it around there. That the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, and the Lord is with you. So um, go to First Chronicles chapter 17 so we can read it there. First Chronicles 17 verse 1 says this, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent curtains. And Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart for God is with you. And so a lot of times we're talking about a prophet here. We're talking Nathan the prophet. Um, and, uh, and he sees where David is going with this. He wants to now build a house for the Lord. And so David, uh, Nathan the prophet doesn't pray first, doesn't really seek the Lord at all. But he hears what David has to say and go, I like where you're going with this. Do all that is in your heart. Because what is it that David wants to do? He wants to build a house for the Lord. Something more permanent. Well, what could be bad about that? What could be bad about that? I want to do something for God. And so if you're thinking in your mind, man, I want to do something for God. I would say, well, that's a good thing. Go with it. But even by saying that, God could still say no. Because that's what he says here in verse 4. 
Verse 3, it says, But it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. Now, we don't have that in in 2 Samuel 7. And so I wanted to read that to, to that you know specifically that God said, No. No, you're not going to build me a house to dwell in. Well, the question would be, well, why not? God never answers that in 2 Samuel. He doesn't answer that in, um, in 1 Chronicles. He, he doesn't give the answer there. He actually did give the answer, but for whatever reason, it's omitted here. We know in 1 Chronicles 28, as David is recounting this, how he wanted to build for the Lord, where the Lord spoke to him through Nathan then or revealed to him later on. He says, no, because you're a man of warfare. You have blood on your hands. And, and so this is going to be for a man of peace that is going to build me. It's going to be for your son. And so it's going to be for Solomon. Okay, so David, whether he got that answer right then and it's just omitted here and he gives us a little bit more information later on or, or that came to him later on, we're, we're not given that. But we are told that he wanted to do a very, very good thing. And God said no. And my question to you is, has that ever happened to you? And I guarantee you it has. Maybe you've had a desire to be a missionary, and God said no. Can you imagine? You have a desire, I want to go into the mission field, I want to go help out over here, and God just put one roadblock after another and and said no. Maybe there's something else you really want to do for the Lord. You really think this is a good thing. Hey, I'll do this. And God says, no. Wow. He does do that. And we might not understand it on this side of heaven. Lord, your word says be fruitful and multiply. We want to have a child. And you're saying, no. But this is what you want us to do according to your word. And yet you're saying, no. No. Wow. Why? You know what? As you read chapter 7 here, God doesn't say why. Instead, he does something else. In verse 4 here of of 2 Samuel chapter 7, he says, But it happened that night that the word Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Whenever I moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from the following the sheep to be a ruler over my people over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I've cut off all your enemies from before you. You have made your name great and the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them that I may dwell in the place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. God explains himself to David by totally flipping the script and saying, should you build me a house? I've built you a house. 
Look what I've done for you. Look what I've done for my people Israel. Look what I've done. And, and he goes through their history there telling what it is that he has done to which David's probably thinking that that's my point. Because of all that you've done, I want to do something for you. But as we continue on, you're going to find out that David finally just sits before the Lord and just says, who am I that you've even done any of these things for me? But what I want us to take from here before we get into this next part of Scripture is I want you to take from the fact that he says right here, I have been with you. I'm with you. Lord, why, why didn't I get that job? He might not tell you. I'm with you. Isn't that good enough? You know me, and I'm with you. Isn't that good enough? The answer should always be yes. I'm blessed. Because can you answer this question? If he wasn't with you and you didn't know him, where would you be today? Is that not enough to just fall upon your knees and say, Lord, thank you? I think it is. I think it is. And so he's going to go on. He says, I'm here to make you a house. And David's probably thinking, I I have that. I have the house of cedar. I have this. No, no, no. That word house means dynasty. I'm doing something with you, David, much like I did with Abraham before you, who I'm going to make a great and mighty nation through him, to which you're part of that, David. But what you don't understand is that it's going to be through your seed that this royalty will continue to be ruling in the land here in Israel. And so God makes him this promise, which is known as the Davidic covenant. And he says... When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. And, you will, and, and who will come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for another 50 years. Did you say that? You know, 150 years if he, if he does what I tell him to do. doesn't say that. He says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i will be his father he shall be my son if he commits iniquity i will chasten him with the rod of men that would probably be uh other nations coming down warring against him and with the blows of the sons of men for my mercy shall not depart from him as i took it from saul whom i removed before you and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever Before you, your throne shall be established forever according to the words and according to this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So I want you to go to 1 Chronicles again, chapter 17, verse 11 and 12. He just puts it a little bit more concise. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled... When you must go and be with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will, be your, who will be of your sons. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house. I will establish his throne forever. So again, Psalm 89, we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, will also establish this. Uh, time and time again, we see this uh, reiterated in Scripture that because my promise to David, uh, that his seed shall reign on this throne. And, and on and on and on, we'll, we'll see that in Scripture here in, uh, probably next week. And, and so 
I just want us to be able to see this, that God is promising something forever. Well, is, is David's seat on the throne today in Israel? The answer is no, it's not. But it says forever, yeah, and we'll get into why it's not today, but why we know that that's still speaking future, because it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we will see here soon. So, this is known as the Davidic Covenant. And in order to really understand what a covenant is, uh, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 15. Okay, Genesis chapter 15. The word covenant in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, bereath. And here's the definition of a covenant. The cutting of the flesh and passing between the cutting of the flesh is what the word covenant means. Now, most of you are probably going, well, I know what a covenant is. It's an agreement. It's an agreement. Yes, but it's not just a handshake. It is one that is dissolved through death, okay? It's one that's dissolved through death. So here in Genesis 15, we see a very interesting ritual that takes place between God and Abraham or Abram at this point. And so just starting in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham, or Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall, so shall your descendants be. Have you ever seen the, the sky when everything else is pitch black around you and you see all those stars? And then you know that if you look through a telescope, an even more powerful telescope, there's even more, 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 more. And there's like quadrillions out there. You, we can't even put a number on it. It's so vast. And God is saying, and such will your descendants be. Wow. Right now he doesn't even have a kid. You know, Isaac hasn't even showed up yet. And, and it's going to be through him. But God promises. And it says in verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. How was Abraham, or Abram at this point, made righteous before God? He believed. He trusted what God's word said. So he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? He's not asking out of mistrust. He's asking more like, is there a sign? Is there something that is going to happen that I will know that when this is going to take place? So he said, hey, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him. And he cut them in two down the middle, placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And the vultures came down into the carcasses of Abram, drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, meaning God, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. Who's he talking about? 
the Israelites. And they're all going to come from his seed when they're in the land of Egypt. And they're there for how long? 400 years. And so this is why the darkness and, and great horror fell upon him because he saw the, the stress that they were under. He saw that they were slaves. He saw the burden that was upon him. And it says, And also the nations whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Do you remember when they went to their neighbors right before they left and they gave them silver and gold and all this kind of stuff, cattle and all that? They came out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So there are people in the land there in Canaan, where he is and where he's traveling through. They're pagans, but there, it says right here, the Amorites, their iniquity is not yet complete. There's 400 years more that they're going to continue to go down their pagan ways and get worse and worse and worse. Toward that point, the Lord says, okay, now judgment. And I'm going to use this nation to come in of Israel to wipe them out because of their atrocities. Now, I want you to be able to see the love of God here. And I want you to be able to see how patient God is. He already knows the iniquities are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Now, here's the question. Do you really think that it was during that whole 400 years that God totally remained silent with these people? I would submit to you that we have Um, how God has reached out to pagan people uh, in a book in the Bible called, who? Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites. Are are you kidding me? Nineveh? Those are the Assyrians, complete Gentiles. There's no Jews over there. Complete Gentiles. I don't want to go over there. They're horrible, rotten people. But yet God sends a witness to them. And what do they do? They actually repent. And, and, and judgment is delayed another 150 years, 120, 150 years, something like that. That means that people actually repented, they came to know the living God, and later on just fell back into their old ways again, to which God finally brought judgment, but there was a reprieve there for a while, where people actually came to know the living God. I would submit to you, we do not have the history of the whole world of what God has been doing in the world. We don't have that. We have the history of the Jewish people and we have the history of what's going on around them, but we don't have the history of what God is doing around the world sending his ambassadors. We don't have that. But I do believe that God gave us a little glimpse there with Jonah. You're going to go to these pagan people that have no idea who I am and, and uh, you're just one of many that I've sent throughout the world, but I'm going to have it recorded here in Scripture. But There are many ambassadors, I have no doubt, that God has sent into the world to pagan people and that have come to know him and then maybe later on have forgotten about him, to which maybe he judges later, like he did with the Ninevites, and like he's going to do here with the Amorites, which is speaking of the whole land of Canaan there, with the whole land of Canaan. So, continues on here. It says, and it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. I find that very interesting because, um, so you have smoke, and then you have a torch, fire. It's kind of exactly how he led the Jews, wasn't it, through the land? You know, smoke during the day and fire by night. 
there's more to it than that, but I can't get into it right now. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the, from the river Euphrates to the great river, uh, I'm sorry, from the great river of Egypt, which is Nile, and the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. So all the land that they occupy, he's given them all of that. Now, a couple things here. This was a known custom back in the day, okay? When uh, this is called a blood covenant, um, when a bride and groom were getting married, they would do this, and the father of the bride and the father of the groom would walk through that together. And what they were saying when they did that is that the father would remove their sandals, they would then step barefoot into the pool of blood, the hems of the robe would dip red, and their bloody feet marked the path. And so they would say, tonight this covenant has been sealed in blood, and may I pay with my life if this covenant is broken, each would say to the other, and so this would be sealed in blood, one willing to take uh, um, their son willing to take the bride and the bride willing to be given. And this isn't going to be broken except by death is what is being said there. And so God makes this covenant, but he and Abraham don't walk through it together. Only God walks through it. And so he gives a promise to Abram. And as he gives this promise to Abram, he is saying exactly this. He is saying that if anyone breaks this covenant, I will pay for it with my blood. Okay? So, God says, I love you so much, Abraham. I promise that my covenant will come true for you and your children. I will never break my covenant with you. I'm willing to put my own life on the line to make you understand that. So let me ask you a question. Was this covenant that he was going to have with his people ever broken? Did the people of God truly serve him and him only? Did they ever go to other gods? They did, didn't they? And so they broke that covenant. And so what needs to be done is it now needs to be paid by blood. I look at this. And when God made this covenant with Abram in the usual blood covenant, each party is responsible for his side of the promise. When God made the covenant with Abraham, Abraham did not walk through it. God did it solo. And so he's saying, Abraham, if this covenant is broken for whatever reason, for my unfaithfulness or yours, I will pay the price with my blood. And I would submit to you, he did that through his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years later. This is what a covenant is. It means it's going to happen. The only thing that can keep it from happening, and if it does happen, here's the payment for it, death. Death. And so we have to understand how important a covenant is. There is a bilateral covenant. There is unilateral covenants. There's conditional covenants. There's unconditional covenants. And so when we look at the different covenants in the Bible, we need to understand what is being said here. Never can the bowels of darkness 
That's all we have time for today on this Monday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. 